Hi, and welcome to Cinemazing Chats, episode 17. We're talking about X-Men Apocalypse, and I'm here with Erica. Hey. As well as my brother, Juan. Hi, thanks for having me on. Definitely. Yeah, so this is the sixth X-Men movie in the main franchise, though there's also three Wolverine movies that are sort of played off in this one as well. Um, and let's say what we all thought, like, right off the bat, I guess, a little bit. Uh, I feel like in 2016, there were, like, a bunch of really big movies. Like, they had Captain America, Civil War, uh, Batman v Superman, the new Ghostbusters, the first Deadpool. But somehow, like, all those movies got trashed, or at least some of them got trashed, but nobody mentioned X-Men Apocalypse, even though it's clearly one of the worst movies of that year. Yeah, I agree. This is definitely one of the uh, films that came out that summer that was most disappointing to me, at least. And this is coming right after Days of Future Past, so it was like particularly disappointing, uh, because I thought that one was one of the best X-Men they had made so far. They even like went out of their way to like uh, clear the timeline of some of the older movies that didn't work out that well, so they could have like a fresh start, and then they immediately <laughs> threw it away. Exactly. So we should also mention that this X Men comes as part of the First Class trilogy in a way. Uh, so basically, you can see it started with First Class, which is directed by Matthew Vaughn, where they sort of set up the idea of the X Men and Magneto and Xavier. And then they had Days of Future Past, which kind of tried to slam the two casts together. And this one is just making it more focused again, back to first class-esque adventures. And each of those movies takes place in a different decade. So the first one was in the 60s, then the last one was in the 70s, and this one takes place in 1983. I also really thought that the opening narration was mailed in on this one, uh, like they always have, either Patrick Stewart or more recently, James McAvoy do the opening narration, and this one was just kind of like, whatever. <laughs> He's just saying words. It feels like a lot of the speeches from like the different characters were just kind of placeholders that they were like, oh, just put this here and we'll feel something better in later. Exactly. Can we talk about the timelines for a bit? Yeah. So, like, the first X-Men movie that came out was set around 2005, like the near future at the time. Hmm. then first class was set in the 1960s so there's like roughly 40 years between them this one is set exactly in the middle in the 1980s but none of the actors are the right age at all right yeah it's like brian singer didn't even bother to try to make the uh actors look any older or any different than they had already looked like supposedly 20 years have passed since they all first met when they were like late 20s early 30s but they still look exactly the same age Right, and this one also brings Moira McTaggart back, who was a pretty important character in First Class, but hadn't been seen since. Yeah, what was she doing in this one? She was just sent off to go find some ruin, ancient ruins or pyramids or something? Yeah, there's always some contrived thing with her, like she's a CIA agent. So, for example, in First Class, she was breaking in the Hellfire Club to scope out what they were doing. Mm. In this one, she's just following some sort of what looks like a doomsday cult. Oh, she was just investigating a doomsday cult for the CIA. <laughs> Run of the mill. Exactly, <laughs> like you do. And we should mention that this whole film starts with this whole uh, opening uh, sequence that takes place in ancient Egypt. Uh, it almost looked like Assassin's Creed Origins. Uh, There's also like a bit of Stargate for some reason. Like They wanted to say, like, let's make our own version of Stargate. Right. <laughs> Um, it was almost like Ancient Aliens, too, because they showed how this old pyramid had all this 
tech built into it to help this apocalypse mutant. And so I guess the twist of this movie is that mutants aren't a recent phenomenon, but there was actually one who lived thousands of years ago, and he actually seems like a really powerful one. He says later in the movie that he inspired a bunch of religions, like Ra, like people called him Ra and all that stuff. Yeah, he proves that every religion was just worshipping this mm-hmm. one mutant. <laughs> <laughs> it's also kind of funny because we have the whole thing about, like, is Magneto right or is Xavier right? Like, are humans the problem or are mutants the problem? But in this case, it almost seemed like mutants are the problem if they were existing that long ago and having slaves and all that. Uh, yeah, it's odd that there would have just been one mutant... Um, maybe him being awake or something, like, has something to do with the increased number of mutants in the future? I mean, that'd be a good theory. They should have, like, said that at some point. Uh, so yeah, they're having some sort of ceremony for Apocalypse, who's this really powerful mutant, and then all these followers are revolting against him, so there's a really elaborate mechanism they've secretly built into the thing, and they just, um, break open some blocks that, like, come down to the tunnel. There's some very, like, Looney Tunes-esque splats throughout the sequence where all the side characters are just getting hit by giant rocks. Uh, at some point, a man is crushed into, like, a CGI ball and kind of thrown. I thought that was kind of silly. And it felt like all his ancient Egypt, like, follow uh, lieutenants or, like, horsemen had much better powers than any of the modern mutants. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the intro kind of reminded me of Days of Future Past. There's a very similar entrance to that movie where you just have like sort of a standalone action sequence that's disconnected from the rest of the plot. Um, so they do this kind of cool thing with the intro where they have you going through time. So it's like you're going forward and this film was of course originally in 3d and seeing how every, uh, each age changed the world. Oh, is that the credit sequence? Yeah. Oh, like the Mona Lisa floating by and then like (laughs) Hitler giving a speech or something. I was just like, yep. Some biplanes. That was in a montage, the entire history. So one interesting thing about this movie is even though they had made first class, this is the first movie where they actually showed the original mutants, uh, sort of going through their paces, which is of course where X-Men started originally, like in the sixties. Um, so we're introduced to Scott Summers, and we can't tell if he's a freak or if he's a geek. But... A spaz, a dweeb, a sporto. <laughs> Point Dexter. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, he's just looking weird and teary-eyed in the mm. back of the room. He's about to laser-eye everyone without knowing it. Some jocks just like, are you eyeing my girl, Summers? And of course, He's, he's like, no, I have like... horrible allergies. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, yeah, we just... Uh, really, I should have called this movie X-Men Origins, because it just kind of shows... The origin story of a bunch of mutants. Yeah, they uh, just flash a ton in the beginning. I couldn't even, like, type them all out. Yeah, Cyclops, Nightcrawler, Jean Grey. Cyclops, Jean Grey, the angel guy, Archangel. Yeah, uh, they have a bunch of side characters, Psylocke, Storm. Jubilee. Jubilee's yeah. there for a second, but barely speaking <laughs> again. And it kind of seemed like before the movie actually came out that they'd be focusing more on that team, like, showing them going through, like, their school and training or whatever. Right. Like you mentioned, it's sort of like X-Men Evolution, the cartoon, but mm. instead of doing that, it's just mostly focusing on the villain, and he's not an interesting villain at all. Exactly, yeah. They just waste Oscar Isaac under a ton of crappy-looking makeup. He really reminded me of the bad guy in Power Rangers. Mm. I'm sure a lot of people had said that before, but yeah, mm. from the original Power Rangers movie. And it's like, if they'd wanted to cast him as one of the X-Men or like as a less boring villain, that would have been good to have him to the franchise. And they're usually pretty good at casting villains just... This time they miscast both the role and the character and the actor. Yeah. It's like a triple indemnity or something. Um, 
But also, I mean, in my opinion, I don't really follow this era of X-Men that much, so I don't really know that much of Apocalypse to begin with. Like, I tried looking up what his philosophy was in the comics, and it's not much more coherent than the movie. (laughs) It's basically like Darwinism, like survival Mm. of the fittest, but the way he goes about it is just like, I'm going to wreck all your shit, whoever survives, survives, and that's all you're going to get out of me. Wow. (laughs) I was reading that Brian Singer said he was a little inspired just by the Old Testament god, uh, version of God, where you just have to, like, worship him, and otherwise he's, yeah, just going to destroy everything. I was getting that real, like, Queen of the Damned vibe, mm. because it was, like, um, that vampire who, like, f- started vampires going around finding other vampires, but it was mutants. Yeah. He kept saying, like, my children to all the mutants. <laughs> like, as he's picking up his, like, lieutenants and new horsemen... It doesn't seem like they're mind-controlled, but it also doesn't really make sense why they'd go along with him. Like, he's not Mm. very compelling. He's not, like, giving them a reason to stay besides amplifying their powers a bit. No. That's a good point. They didn't explain, yeah, they didn't even really explain, oh, I'm amplifying your powers. Like, maybe you're power-hungry and this feels good, so you're going along with it. Like, they could have explained any reason for them to go along, like, mind-control, but they just were, like, they just didn't say anything about why. Yeah, because they have uh, so four different characters from four different backgrounds. Uh, Storm's just like a thief with a heart of gold. She looks up to Mystique as this like 60s symbol of uh, mutant power. Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, fucking Psylocke, who is literally just Olivia Munn wearing a cat suit, and that's mm-hmm. her whole character. Mm-hmm. We have no idea why she joins with Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Uh, Angel, of course, he gets his wings back, which are destroyed in a cage match, and then Magneto has a compelling reason. But other than that, yeah, it's just like, I don't really get what this Apocalypse guy is. And, like, Angel specifically is another example of, like, the timeline fuckery they've been doing. This is now the third character named Angel with, like, very similar powers of flight and, like, giant wings, but none of them are related to each other, and they're all, like, spread out. Two dragons apart from each other. Exactly. Oh, I thought this was the same guy. (laughs) Well, that guy was born, like, he was a teenager in the far future, and this guy's a teenager in, like, Berlin in the 80s or some reason. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like they redid the timeline with Days of Future Past, and this is almost like Brian Singer trying to patch in holes in that timeline now. So you just get a bit of X-Men 2, you get a bit of X-Men Wolverine Origins, um, a bit of X-Men 3, The Last Stand, and it's all just, like, sort of mixed together, and then it's, like, pick and choose the bits they want. Um, so yeah, let's see, you're from Scott Summers, we have a whole sequence, uh, where Mystique is infiltrating a cage match in Germany. It's, like, some weird kinky leather bar. fight club in Yeah, and that's where Angel and Nightcrawler are just fighting, kind of like an Angels and Demons thing. Mm-hmm. It's, like, did Ron Howard direct the scene? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's awesome that they brought Nightcrawler back, and at the very end of the film, you see him wearing his, like, full costume, and, like, everyone's wearing their full costume, but... They finally get, like, their 90s comics costumes, that is just, like, the most cock tease of all cock teases. You only <laughs> right. see it for 10 seconds, and then it immediately cuts to black. Yeah, the movie um, immediately ends. They did the same cameo that they did in Deadpool, but it was oh, in yeah. their own movie like, <laughs> for 10 for exactly. five seconds or whatever. Like, yeah. somehow Deadpool, even though it's on a main X-Men movie, it somehow handles the characters better than had a, the actual X-Men movies. Mm-hmm. It had a lot firmer grip on the canon, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, um, the Colossus is better in the, in Deadpool than it was in the original. Yeah, they randomly have a lesbian couple. It's not a big deal. Nobody cares. It and almost funny. seems like sometimes the X-Men movies are scared of just doing the comics. Like, Being X-Men. They keep having to do convoluted reasons why it's different in the movies, like... 
in X-Men 3, they had another version of Psylocke, but she was just like a punk girl who didn't have the same powers. She was just like yeah. standing around glowering. Yeah, I remember that. And yeah, you don't really know anything about these people. They just have the people to act like them and be dressed like them, but they don't actually say or do anything. Exactly. And this is, uh, I mean, you have to remember this movie is now, this movie franchise is now 18 years old since they sort of restarted the superhero uh, comic book movie thing again with the first X-Men. And yeah, even in that one, you could see how they were like dressing them all in leather, just like not really being like the comics. Um, so then we get this whole sub-thread with Magneto. He's at beautiful Magneto Ranch. Mm-hmm. And Michael Fassbender's just apparently run off after the events of Days of Future Past where he just destroyed most of DC. Mm-hmm. And he gave, like, he first tried to assassinate the president. Mm-hmm. And he gave a speech about, like, rise up all my mutant brothers and mm-hmm. go with me. And then he just, like, disappears. He doesn't do anything. He met oh, some wait, really hot yeah. lady. He called on them to do nothing. Maybe no one <laughs> answered. He's like, oh, well. <laughs> Right, so that's Mystique's whole thing, is she, like, all nihilistic and doesn't really care anymore, and Magneto's just, like, oh. having a happy family off in the wilderness, mm-hmm. Poland, I guess, or something like and that. And they kind of give him the same, like, tragic backstory as uh, Wolverine Origins, where I guess whenever they want to escape from their past, they just go off to the woods and start a family who can be killed later on for fridging reasons. Right. I would say, dramatically at least, that was the strongest sequence. Uh, Just like a standalone thing with Magneto and his family, and uh, he saves a worker from getting crushed, and then they find out that he's Magneto, and then he has to, like... And his daughter has some animal-controlling powers, and that's interesting. Yeah, I kind of thought that was a shout-out to, he has two daughters in the comics, so it could have been, like, a remixed version of those two. Mm. And I was just realizing a subtext. So he was in communist Poland... And they were in East Berlin, so there's like a Cold War theme with the uh, '80s going on. But it's supposed—I realize it's supposed to be like a cooperative message because obviously Magneto and um, Xavier have to work together, and I think that all the countries have to work together to blast their nukes at the same time towards yeah, a common like enemy. A, that weird throwaway moment where it seems like he's going to have them all point their nukes at each other, but instead they're just floating in space. So it destroys oh, all their power. It's right. almost the same plot as Superman for the quest for peace, where he just <laughs> grabs all the nukes and throws them into space. <laughs> oh, that's a good sure. plan. It's supposed to be a good thing. It's supposed to be like, yeah, that's what superheroes should be doing. That's <laughs> Apocalypse's plan. Yeah. Right. Let's see, Jean Grey was being a real Hermione throughout the entire movie. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like being like, oh, boys are gross. <laughs> I'm smart. <laughs> Um, so yeah, they bring back Rose Byrne, who's barely aged since the 60s. Uh, she's telling Xavier all about this weird death cult. Uh, yeah. She's like, it was great, you should join. You'd think they could at least give them, like, some salt and pepper streaks of gray to be like, yes, in 20 years you'll be Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. I mean, my favorite was they have Havoc in the movie, who (laughs) in first class is like a kid, and then this one he looked barely aged at all from there. And it's supposed to be like 40 or 50 at that point. But yeah, uh, somebody brought up a good point, which is like they didn't even have to set this in the 80s. They could have set it like a year after Days of Future Past. Like, mm-hmm. they didn't have to do that. Maybe they were panicking and like we had to get back to like the main characters from the 2000s. So we have to like skip a decade ahead. For no reason. <laughs> yeah, we Basically. have to make it a closed loop, even though it already doesn't fit together. And then they even like, I guess at the end of Days of Future Past, they wrote uh Wolverine Origins out of existence, but that's also set in the eighties and it has many of the same characters from this. Like they have Teen Cyclops, mm-hmm. they have Striker, the guy who gave Wolverine his adamantium. Mm-hmm. He's right. like a completely yeah. different age and a completely different character actor. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. They can't decide how they want any of the characters to be, I guess, because they're all end up being bad. Well, it's kind of funny because that's what they also do in the comic book industry. They just mm-hmm. sort of have the same characters and they just like reboot them every few years and just keep doing the same story because they always have to spin their circles. And Magneto, they keep going back and forth on like, is he either a terrorist villain or a beloved anti-hero or sometimes mm-hmm. good or sometimes bad? Like... At this point, by the end of this movie, he's almost destroyed, like, the entire world. Like, he started taking apart <laughs> yeah. Australia, Cairo was wrecked, and yeah. nobody seems to have any consequences from that. Nobody seems to react like the world is in a shambles right now. Yeah, um, yeah. I think they. it was, like, the TV, again, they were, like, broadcast on TV or something, and so it shows that uh he ter- eventually turns against apocalypse and so i for some reason that just redeems him and he's allowed to continue <laughs> on in the u.s as just a regular citizen oh yeah i was gonna say they should have used the apocalypse defense and just be like oh yeah i was under this powerful mind mm. control this mutant power that took right. over so yeah uh a bunch of german villagers confronts his family and accidentally shoots them with an arrow because of course they can't use metal uh, so then Magneto uses the Nazi coin that he has symbolically hanging around his uh, neck at all times to kill all of them. Oh, well, I guess they're Pol- uh, maybe Russian or they're communist. But yeah, oh, so he kills Euro them. They're trash. Right. Oh. And, then he, and then he screams into the air, am I a murderer? <laughs> Is oh, this what yeah. I am? <laughs> and of course, maybe that was like an Old Testament shout out too. I'm not sure. And that was funny too, because all those soldiers knew, figured out who he was. So they didn't have their guns. They didn't have any metal on them whatsoever but we were talking about how yeah he could just use the iron in their blood or anything so it didn't make any sense there's no way you could protect yourself (laughs) from him if he was yelling out in anguish at god god would reply back yes you're a killer you keep killing people (laughs) (laughs) and you won't be in this like mental anguish right and i I think the same thing almost happens in the comics too like he regularly like every once in a while goes crazy and kills like a whole city like (laughs) new york at one point i think uh, and yeah, oh they keep gosh. like rehabilitating him, or sometimes he dies and comes back at his other characters. Sometimes there's an evil clone or a guy impersonating him. <laughs> I think it's because Magneto as a character doesn't really work because his end goal is like kill all humans. So if he ever succeeds, and there wouldn't be a comic. So because the writers kind of want to be like happy, Magneto has a point. But if you say that, then you have to like apologize for all the shit he's done in the past. Right. Mm. Let's see. Oh, yeah. So Apocalypse's whole power is he reincarnates as other mutants. So he's almost like a rogue type uh, mutant. Like he just steals other other people's powers. Mm-hmm. It seems like he could just live on forever by taking over bodies mm-hmm. or something. And then Professor X is being super intrusive and like taking a look at everyone's brains. He's trying to find... Uh, oh, yeah, consent was such a theme of this movie because, yeah, there was Xavier wiped uh, Moira's uh, mind without asking her. Uh, Jean Grey was reading people's minds. Apocalypse was just giving people powers and changing their outfits and stuff without asking. Yeah. There was, like, almost a similar uh, plot point in one of the DC comics where, like, they erased Batman's memory of some bad shit they did, and he's like, you raped my mind? And he's just like, oh, well, thank you for restoring my memories. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, it's pretty rude. Xavier, is he really the good guy? That's what we should ask. No. He's uh, MLK Jr. <laughs> he didn't go MLK enough. Basically. <laughs> um, so yeah, then uh, Apocalypse is going around scouting for other mutants to steal their powers, because he can also amplify other people's powers. Uh, so he goes to Caliban, who's like an information trader. Uh, the same character appears in Logan. 
And that's where they introduce terrible Psylocke and recruit her. Oh, uh, I think we already mentioned Storm, but at some point he recruits Storm and does this really weird thing where he puts somebody in a wall. He's like oh, sand yeah. powers to kill people. He and can it, like melt the wall open. It's sort of like unclear why he needs other mutants if he already has all the powers. Yeah, like he yeah. Can basically manipulate matter on an atomic level. I was like. realizing mm-hmm. that because yeah, he can build stuff. He has so many different powers. But I was like, why did he need all those like uh, the Egyptian slaves and stuff mm-hmm. to make a pyramid? He could just be like poof. Right. It all exists now. Yeah, at the end of the movie, he's full on <laughs> constructing a city just on his own. Yeah. <laughs> so he could have just not used the slave power. He can, like, teleport anywhere. He doesn't need help. Yeah. That. that was weird. And how did he pick his four lieutenants or four horsemen or whatever? Like, he was the just, first four people. Yeah, yeah he did the first four people like he found. And then he's just like, oh, Xavier, you're the strongest, even though Jean Grey is both telekinetic and uh, telepathic. So it doesn't really make sense. a cool 80s side sweep hairstyle. Yeah, like everyone's mm-hmm. costumes and the look in this movie was all perfect. Some of the other stuff that wasn't as good, the writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also kind of funny because up till now in the plot, like none of the X-Men have any idea about what's going on with the apocalypse and his efforts to recruit four horsemen. <laughs> yeah. And then meanwhile, it's just like they're just training and learning how to use their powers. And just kind of like whining, like Mystique's mad about something and look, looking at Xavier weird. I don't even know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they don't even know like the world's ending. <laughs> No. There's this little giving tree moment where Cyclops accidentally blows up Xavier's favorite tree, and he's like, that tree suckled me from birth as a child. <laughs> I loved that tree. Thank God. I just blew it up. It's also funny because we were discussing how Cyclops' beams are actually like a force like that he uses to push things, really. That's his power. Like, you'd think it would be like a heat beam or a laser, but it's just like a punch beam. Yeah, so he can punch you really hard with a laser, <laughs> or whatever it is. But in the comics, it has an even dumber explanation because he actually has another universe that he accesses through his eyeball portals to shoot out power. There's mm-hmm. also something similar with Nightcrawler. Like, whenever he teleports, he actually moves through some dark dimension and then, like, reappears. Mm-hmm. That's cool. He's making portals to another dimension. Um, Storm's look was really awesome in this movie. She had, like, the cool punk look mm-hmm. she had in the comic in the 80s. She has a mohawk and just, like, a really nice outfit. <laughs> and she's not Halle Berry. <laughs> it's all positive. <laughs> oh, uh, and uh, the Beast guy is supposed to be like pursuing Mystique the entire yeah. movie, but you're not invested in their relationship at all. They just have no chemistry. That's a runner from First Class, where they're yeah. supposed to be like sort of interested in each other. Mm-hmm. And they sort of had it. It's sort of like past. the knock on Jennifer Lawrence effect, where in First Class she was sort of well known as an actress, but not a huge hit. And they keep making her more and more important until she's basically, by the end, like, yes, I'm the leader of the X-Men. <laughs> yes. It was also funny because in this one, Jennifer Lawrence looked really checked out, and she obviously uh, did negotiations to not have to do her makeup for the whole movie. Mm. So there's some half-assed explanation about how she doesn't want to look like a mutant all the time. Mm. Which is weird because that was a point of contention between her and Beast. Yeah. You want to be blue, and she's all about being uh, accepting <laughs> your mutant self. Mm, let's see. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's hypocritical. Um, 
Oh, so in the comics, Angel also gets transformed, but I believe in the comics it's by Mr. Sinister working for Apocalypse. Oh, of course. He's just some other, like, mutant experimenter guy. And he's been, like, a founding member of the X-Men with them for, like, 20 years instead of some random curly-haired bro. 80s angry boy. (laughs) And he looked vaguely like uh, the bully Billy from Stranger Things Season 2. Yeah. Shirtless and flexy and curly mullet. (laughs) Yeah, he's just, like, brooding in a warehouse with his broken wing, like, alone and shirtless. Oh, and then also I remember that this was around the time that all the creepy Brian Singer allegations Mm. were coming out, which I think was also, like, didn't make me want to watch this movie. When it first came out, there's basically like rumors that whenever you see some young Twinkie guy in the X Men movies, it's because Brian Singer hired them as a favor. Yeah, or has oh, some sort no. of parties or something. I don't even know. Awkward. <laughs> Here I just wrote down Eric Killmonger Magneto. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Mystique should definitely have a spinoff called That So Raven. <laughs> yes. Uh, keep including Jubilee in these movies, but as a very, very background character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess she just keeps flunking out because if you go back and watch the older movie, she's been attending the, the classes as a teenager for like 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. She's like the maybe of their universe. Oh, no. <laughs> she's just constantly in high school. <laughs> uh, they have a good fuck in this movie. Um, so Magneto, aver- after having killed everyone in the woods, goes back to his, uh, I don't know, smelting factory. And is about to kill everyone there when Apocalypse appears with his whole, like, by now he's recruited Storm, Psylocke, and just recruited Angel, giving him the metal wings. And then Magneto's just like, who the fuck are you when he appears? Because he has no idea who that guy is. But then they instantly teleport, and this is the bleakest title card in the movie, to Auschwitz. Mm. Oh, yeah. And Apocalypse is like, you need to destroy this. To... He says, reach as deep as you can. And he's like hovering over him, like yeah. kneeling down with him. It's really creepy. Like, he's like, I'm your dad. You're my child. Dynamic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Throughout the movie, there's actually a thing about Apocalypse constantly calling everyone his children. And they're always you saying, are like, all my yeah. children. <laughs> I think you either need like an older or like more imposing actor to do that. Because if he's just some other 30-year-old, why would you say, like, why would you follow him around? Yeah, or they could have just not even, like, put all the prosthetics on his face. He could have just had, like, a normal-looking face mm-hmm. and just painted it blue. He could have just blew himself. Like, I almost feel like <laughs> if Arnold Schwarzenegger had gotten his old Mr. Freeze get-up out, he would have made a better apocalypse, because at least he'd have, like, yeah, Expression. that seems tough. He seems, like, angry. Right. And here's just Oscar Isaac sounding vaguely annoyed and sometimes getting a voice filter on him. Yeah, he seems kind of, like, smug or, like, mm. I don't care about this. <laughs> and, like, from what I remember vaguely when Apocalypse was in the 90s X-Men cartoon, he's always, like, huge and imposing. He's kind of like, I'm Apocalypse. I'm here to destroy everything. Yeah, he's usually, like, a Thanos-type creature. Mm. They probably just didn't want to make him all CGI or something like that. <laughs> And it sort of, like, even suffers more if you go back and watch Apocalypse after Infinity War. Because, like, Josh Brolin pulled off that kind of uh, compelling, like, you understand what this guy's philosophy is. Mm-hmm. And even though he has so many monologues, I never understood what Apocalypse is. Right. <laughs> yes! He's there to monologue about nothing. Actually, it says right on their poster, uh, only the strong will survive. And that was his whole thing, the whole movie. is uh, <laughs> all he cared about. Okay. Apparently. Um... <laughs> But yeah, I was uh, noticing that there are a lot of similarities with Infinity War. And actually, that was what I was afraid of for Infinity War before I saw it, that Thanos wouldn't have a very good mm. through line. 
But yeah, it's the same sort of thing. Like this, they're treating almost like the Capper to six movies instead of like uh, I don't know, just another movie. And they kept doing like flashbacks with clips from the other movies in like three different scenes. Yeah, to be like, yeah, remember, remember this emotional feelings that we had in the other movies. <laughs> now try and recreate that now. Yeah, they're just trying to make it build it to a pitch point to like I don't know elicit excitement, I guess. But this is the same team mostly from X Men Two and Days of Future Past. Brian Singer always brings Simon Kimberg on, on board to do the writing, and they always get John Ottman to do the music for these films. So I think they were just hoping to do another Days of Future Past, but in this case it didn't quite work out. They probably did it too soon. They're probably also rushing to get it out in the same time as like all these other big movies. Right, now everyone has to consider when is Disney going to release their next thing. <laughs> three, three months, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Mystique tells her point of view. She's like, I'm not going to pretend I live in a world that doesn't exist. And it's like, ooh, that's such good uh, social commentary. <laughs> uh, it almost feels like there would have been like an interesting take if he tried to recruit Magneto, but Magneto was like, no, and he was just like a third party throughout the movie, like antagonizing them both somehow. Right. Mm-hmm. But instead, they all just go along with him for no apparent reason. <laughs> Uh, I love this part. Apocalypse is just randomly giving Angel some face tattoos. Like, he's already transformed his wings, and at some point they're just hanging out, and he's giving him additional face tattoos. Yeah, he was, like, decking out all the people he was (laughs) working with. He's like, that's one benefit of working with me is the fashion. Yeah, really, that was his dream, is to be an interior and fashion designer. (laughs) They all get, like, punk punk remakes, except for... Uh, Psylocke who just gets a cool costume yeah kind of the funny thing is that even though it's set in the 80s a lot of it is actually from the 90s era of the comics because mm-hmm. they have Jubilee in her 90s get up Psylocke in her 90s get up uh, they all have the Jim Lee costumes by the end yeah basically so they do a whole sequence where uh, Apocalypse is showing off his power uh, like we were talking about earlier to launch all the nukes and that's set to Beethoven's Allegretto Symphony number no. 7 second movements <laughs> Oh, right. He was launching all the nukes. I was totally fuzzy on some of these plot points. Yeah, and I actually really like that particular song. Uh, that's where they put in the Stanley Lee com- uh, cameo. He's just, like, staring up at one of the nukes. Mm. And apparently his wife there. <laughs> and he should have been like, uh, fuck you, Jack Kirby, for, like, for free. <laughs> but yeah, it was kind of awkward, because then every time after, wouldn't everyone be like, remember that time that somebody launched every nuke into space? Mm-hmm. That was weird. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the plot of the second one is the Phoenix Force goes back and fixes the entire planet. Yeah. And does everything, all the X-Men movies, so they're free of uh, all past timelines. Well, they should, like, just end this franchise, basically, and restart it with mm-hmm. Disney. Right, that's what everyone's mm-hmm. hoping, that they'll they'll sell it to uh, mm-hmm. Marvel, and they'll just have them back. So yeah, there's another whole sequence with Quicksilver, where, and, well, I thought it was really stupid, they're basically trying to steal uh, Xavier from the Institute, and Havoc is trying to stop them, so he launches his power, which just happens to be right at a fuel cell, I guess, or something. So, oh, yeah, that was stupid. Yeah, so it causes the whole house to start to explode, but then it starts a really cool sequence uh, where Quicksilver's just running through the house, like, saving everyone and setting it up so that they'll land on different, like, mattresses and uh, cloth and stuff. Yeah, he has to save literally everyone in the Xavier school. While Eurythmics plays. Yeah. <laughs> So that's like the one of the only uh, charismatic scenes, and that's and a character. Yeah, that's certainly the only character who gets anything like that. Uh. Yeah, and it's obviously they're just trying to like one up uh, the sequence from the last movie where he had to break out Magneto. 
and a slow down time that sequence too. But not to be confused with the Quicksilver from Avengers. Exactly. Yeah, there's another Quicksilver. <laughs> Um, but also, uh, the funny thing there is that they have the main X-Men going off to the mall, uh, to see Return of the Jedi, and there's a funny line about, like, <laughs> the third one's always the worst. Oh, yes, so referential. gets that line. But there's an entire deleted scene that I saw after the fact that's almost better than anything else in the movie, where mm-hmm. there's actually just bonding and just walking around the mall. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they left it out. Yeah, exactly. If they're oh, the to appeal to, like, these teen demographics so much, why don't they make a movie about teenage X-Men instead Yeah, like, right. it should be, like, adults. teenage bre- teenage X-Men breakfast club, and they're like, don't you <laughs> about me? Is there, like, being mall rats? No, that's a strange thing for <laughs> sure, is that we can't really tell who this movie's aimed at. Mm. It's just uh, aging out people. Okay, so then after that, uh, for some reason, General Stryker reappears uh, kidnaps all the main X-Men and takes them all back to his base to do experiments or some something like that. And oh, that... Pablo, it's Colonel Striker. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> he keeps getting one promotion per movie. Oh, and, and thought... he's an MD, too. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. And I thought that was a really contrived subplot. They kind of just... Oh, the uh... Weapon X thing? Or... Yeah, he kind of just like had a throw-off line that, oh, we saw this explode, so we knew it was here. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is really nitpicky, but like at the end of Days of Future Past, you see that Striker has Wolverine's body. But Stryker is actually mystique yeah. in disguise. Like, they do the little thriller cat eyes mm-hmm. thing. And then what happened in that decade? Like, did the real Stryker take <laughs> control of it? Right, they set up a whole thing that never really paid it off. <laughs> yeah, so basically this whole sequence is to rewrite uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Since they crapped up the Origins so much in that one, they just, like, are touching on it briefly. So you see Wolverine in a cameo. And his, like, Weapon X regalia, which is kind of cool, because it looks just like in the comics. They even had a little cameo of the blob, because they had to save one thing from that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> everything oh. else. And then, and then, of course, recently in Deadpool 2, they sort of do that, too, as well. Mm-hmm. But they release uh, Wolverine in this one, right? Yeah. So it gets out. Is exactly. And there's a moment where Jean Grey touches him and is like, I gave him back part of his past. Mm-hmm. And then you can immediately, yeah, that didn't make any sense. You can immediately see the love triangle between uh, her and the Cyclops. And so Wolverine goes off to wink in the woods. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And in retrospect, like, that kind of invented the Twilight romance of, like, a 600-year-old man falling in love. Yeah, it's pretty oh, creepy. Oh, no. It's also even creepier if you read the origin they finally did in the comics, because uh, they show that he was actually in love with a different red-headed woman. Oh, Who my died, God. of course, inadvertently. It was Lily from Harry Potter. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Always loved Lily. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and that's when they start to do, like, the whole third act, now Apocalypse is gonna make a sandcastle-type yep. pyramid thing. Mm-hmm. He's into sand, we know that. There's lots of sand animation, yeah. as we saw, but it was not as good as... Spider-Man sand, 3. Spider-Man, <laughs> Sandman sand, so... And this was newer, too. This movie should has no excuse. I wonder if these CGI companies, just to save time, they've come up with a way to make, like, clouds of dust and clouds of sand and just have that in the background for everything. <laughs> they should. <laughs> it feels like a lot of these CGI-heavy movies, they just have a scene where there's a showdown and just, like, there's swirling clouds. And yeah, little bits of grit mm. and matter. Oh, William Stryker gets to capture some of them in that after that explosion. Oh, but then that's before the Weapon X thing. That was so, but do they release their friends who were captured? 
Yeah, so then Nightcrawler's there oh. and telling them to stand back from the wall. So they exploded. all get away from Stryker. That's good. <laughs> oh, it's kind of funny because this uh, actor who plays Cyclops, um, he also plays the main character in Ready Player One. So it's kind of like he's getting typecast uh, as somebody who wears visors, Ty Sheridan. Mm-hmm. The visor guy? Yeah, the visor guy. <laughs> we need a visor type. So <laughs> if they're ever casting for more Star Trek movies, you should go out for one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I feel like Nightcrawler was better in that second X-Men. Like, this guy's supposed, this Nightcrawler's supposed to be comedic relief, but he wasn't very funny in this movie. It feels like they introduced every character, like, they Mm -hmm. gave them each a nice minute-long introduction, but then they didn't do anything with any of the characters after. Exactly. They just were, sat around, or, like, Mm -hmm. those four friends went off in the car, like, the four teen friends, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, I don't buy your, I don't understand your (laughs) friendship at all. You don't see them being friends, you just have them off-screen having fun, but you never get to see them. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I think this one also suffers because it's clearly Brian Singer trying to make a follow-up almost directly to First Class. Mm-hmm. So he's almost trying to do the Matthew Vaughn thing that he did in that movie, but for whatever reason, it doesn't quite work with Brian Singer's flavor. Mm-hmm. They need someone who can write for a group, uh, ensemble cast, and like witty repartee back and forth to make it feel like a team. Exactly. Yeah, like a Joss Whedon type. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so this is where we have a 2012-esque disaster movie going on. Uh, <laughs> Magneto's just had his power amped up. I was pissed off and just destroying the entire world. He's the guy no seem that angry. He seems kind of like dead inside. Right. I wasn't sure what was going on inside his head there. Yeah, I think they're all sort of supposed to be altered by... in oh. their minds by the apocalypse's power. He's just corrupted by the power. And it's also weird because this was a time period uh, when they were doing a bunch of films where people just like were dying in mass because uh, there was like Star Trek Into Darkness, Man of Steel, where just these really dark endings with lots of people just dying. Nobody <laughs> yeah, they actually them. don't show anyone. Did you notice like in the cars or buildings or anything? Mm. It's like was it felt like a desert to town. That. Yeah, Cairo was completely abandoned, and then he just like turned the entire city into the pyramid. No, I think there were millions of people in there, but okay. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, so Jake Gyllenhaal ran by for 2020 or 2012 or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I think in general, this movie would have been stronger if they had focused even more on the main core X-Men and not mm-hmm. try to make it so much a follow-up to a First Class or Days of Future Past even. Mm-hmm. If they had cut some of the scenes of them just standing around listening to Apocalypse talk, they could have had like some character development for the younger cast. Exactly. Well, yeah, for the because the, they kept trying to build yeah the teen the younger teens that were joining, or they could have had um the four lieutenants or horsemen talking to each other maybe about any sort of plans or anything. Right. Does this guy make sense to you? Yeah, he kind of has some good points. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are their the thoughts guys? about sure, this? Following him. Yeah. The bad guys in, uh, I mean, like, at least the, um, what, the, the bugs, they always are kind of weird in these X-Men movies. Like, they're always just sort of, like, silent types. Like, mm-hmm. even in the first X-Men movie, Mystique wasn't that great a character. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until X-Men 2 that... Pretty much mute. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know why that is. I guess they just need, like, heavies, as they call them. <laughs> it's also funny, there's a whole sub-thread with Quicksilver wanting to tell Magneto that apparently he's his father... Uh, oh, yeah, but he never does in the movie. Silver's father, yeah. He's like, I'll tell him eventually. I'll tell him one time, sometime. <laughs> but it's also funny because, at least in the comics, uh, Mystique is uh, Nightcrawler's mm-hmm. mother. 
And that would make more sense of this movie because she goes and rescues him from that cage fighting thing. Exactly. And the timeline would work out even because she's Mm -hmm. supposed to be like 40 or 50 or Mm -hmm. even older. Not sure. And they're blue. Yeah. It would have been perfect. (laughs) One thing I did really like about this movie is they finally cracked how to do Magneto flying uh, with Mm -hmm. the force field around him, which is something they do in the comics like pretty much any time they have him. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in this movie, they just visualize it as he has a bunch of metallic little dust around him, which I thought was actually a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. And Fassbender, Michael Fassbender, of course, looked really comfortable in his flying rig. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this whole like weird um, psychic battle to between Apocalypse and <laughs> Professor X. Oh yeah, like in a dreamscape. They had that scene in the trailers where Apocalypse grows huge, and I thought, oh, that must be one of his mutant powers. But it's just <laughs> his dreamscape version becoming huge. Right, it's a fake out. It was his. It was yeah, representing that he was mentally stronger than Xavier. Kind of reminded me of in the end of Order of the Phoenix, the Harry Potter film. Uh, there's that sequence where Harry's having a similar sort of psychic battle with Voldemort, and it just takes place in their minds. So there's all this weird swirling crap behind them, and then uh, Voldemort has to be like, or yeah, Harry has to be to Voldemort like, "You are alone, and that's your weakness." And same sort of thing happens in this one, where Xavier tells Apocalypse, "You are alone, and that's why you'll fail." <laughs> but we have a deus ex alien to save us. <laughs> right. <laughs> Take that apocalypse. Yeah, so then Jean Grey reveals that she has more power than any of these mutants. And there's a really weird line. Uh, so basically Jean Grey lets her Phoenix force out. Uh, there's a cool scene with negative space uh, of Phoenix behind her. But that's in, so that's in the real world, not in their mind. Right. Yeah, so I think, he's fighting on both fronts. Yeah, she, they kind of show her, like, burn away first the psychic world and mm-hmm. then the real world. And then it's, like, fire versus ice, because she's got the flames and Apocalypse is blue and the blue powers. Exactly. <laughs> and then Apocalypse's last world words are all is revealed, so it almost makes it seem like he won by getting to see the most powerful mutants. They also trying to do one of those power blast fights between Storm and Cyclops, which doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. lightning is just... Light and yeah, what? <laughs> sound. Yeah, he, <laughs> and uh, you can't punch light and heat, I guess. <laughs> yeah, his power would just do, do nothing. Do anything, and he would get electrocuted. <laughs> and she'd be like, the same thing that happens to everything else. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, so yeah, the whole ending thing is like a battle royale with Quicksilver and Mystique trying to talk to Magneto, and all the rest are fighting the four horsemen. And then... They- Dwarf's best friend is the frog. Um, And they show a little bit of how, like, Quicksilver is the solution to most of their fights because he almost beats Apocalypse. And then Apocalypse just reaches out and causes his foot to get stuck in the ground. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's, like, punching the crap out of him. But yeah, he's faster than, like, everyone else, so he's pretty useful. (laughs) And we get Nightcrawler and uh, Angel to finish their arc (laughs) or whatever. Because they fight again. Uh, Silek does some crap with her giant purple energy dildo. <laughs> oh, yeah. Someone came out with purple energy. Oh, wait. No, that was the Deadpool movie. So I'm starting to confuse this with the Deadpool yeah, That makes sense. <laughs> it ends with Professor X and Magneto again having a little conversation about what are they going to do about this whole mutant thing. Basically, they repeat the same exact speech from X-Men 2. You should be like, aren't you? Aren't you a war criminal? Ah, so long, old friend. <laughs> yeah, at the end, they just show him happily, like, rebuilding uh, the mansion with Jean Grey. And so, yeah, the the FBI should definitely be after all of them. So, yeah, that was the whole movie. Uh, X-Men 2, Wolverine Origins, as I call it. And it basically ends where it should have begun. Like, it should have begun with them training the new mm-hmm. team, getting ready to, like, fight some new battle. 
Yeah, the last scene is pretty sweet. It's just a scene of the danger room. Oh, they also uh, give you the origin of how Xavier lost his hair. So it's like Apocalypse is trying to transfer his consciousness into Xavier. And that apparently causes him to go bald. (laughs) Like Apocalypse. It's like he would have been completely converted to a blue guy. Right, exactly. So I'm not sure we needed that origin story, but now we know the (laughs) reason for that shit. (laughs) Where'd he get his cool blue suit from the end? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that makes no sense. And wait, so they rebuilt the entire school because it all blew up before and they're just training there again? And... Um, okay, wait, so they, they just recruit Storm, because it says it's Scott, Gene, Storm, Kurt, and Peter. So now they're just, like, uh, the people that were with Apocalypse are like, sure, we're with you the now. The monster still left. Oh, yeah, oh, Storm yeah, at Psylocke's some point. Dead. Oh, wait, the, that's Psylocke turned they actually on him, so, They actually show, at a certain point, Apocalypse uh, is, like, willing to let his lieutenants die mm-hmm. so that he can continue his plan. And I think that's when Psylocke turns on him, and then Storm also turns on him because oh. he's trying to kill Mystique. There's oh. a whole scene they have on the poster that everyone, like, was really mad about where Apocalypse is picking up uh, Mystique by the throat. Apparently that was a trigger for a lot of people. So yeah, I guess they just decide that he's an asshole. <laughs> but oh. Psylocke actually doesn't die at the end. She just like fucks off to somewhere. There's technically a way they could bring her back as a hero because like in the comics, she's a different mutant, an English mutant who's in the body of a Japanese mutant. <laughs> what? So they have like combined powers kind of. Whoa. So she could just get hijacked and have some other voice actors redo all her lines. Yeah, they have something convoluted like that for um, Rogue as well. Like Rogue originally got her powers which in the comics are more extensive by sapping all the life force out of another established superhero. Captain Marvel coming 2020. <laughs> so yeah, if anything, if uh, if uh, Disney does reboot this whole thing, they should just go weirder with it and go really into the comic book roots, but also try to avoid the pitfalls that they always do. Because basically anytime they skew closer to the comics, people respond positively to it. And anytime they skew into their weird, like, convoluted explanations where <laughs> it can't be like the comics, everybody goes, what? Why are you doing this? I mean, I know everyone hates him now, but I uh, swear Joss Whedon would be the perfect person to relaunch this with, since he, like, wrote the comics for a long time and brought the suits back in the comics and all this crap. I or feel like... get Grant Morrison. Yeah, I didn't know with a sense of humor, because I, yeah, now having seen like the two Deadpool movies it, it just works better with humor because there is no like hard sci-fi explanation for any of this so just be funny with it I don't know like in the first three X-Men movies they had Wolverine to kind of be like taking the piss out of everyone right and being, like the roguish character but and these ones try to make it Magneto but it doesn't really work mm. and this one these ones are all pretty much lawful good so they can't mm. really play off each other they're just all there to help out right that's the weird thing like in the comics it's definitely supposed to have a sense of danger like since the whole premise is about the world hating these people and not wanting them to exist um and even in like you were saying in the first three movies i felt like there was more of that sense of realism or danger or whatever like a sense of weirdness like chaos but they just keep trying to make it more and more like the avengers or more sanitized or something like that oh and can we talk about the post-credits scene that made no sense <laughs> oh, it yeah. takes some of like weapon x's blood but why a blood sample yeah it's taken by the essex corporation which in the comics is linked with mr sinister oh but actually we just saw the Essex Corporation appears in Deadpool 2. Uh, it's the company that was doing all the shenanigans in that one. Hmm. And in Logan, uh, it obviously has all to do with his clones. So it could be that it was trying to tease oh, that. His clone. You would think um, Apocalypse might want the healing factor guy to live forever, his body. Like, why did he go after... I still don't know why he wanted Xavier. Oh, um, it seemed like he already had a healing power. He pretty much just wanted... He pretty much had, like, every single power. He just wanted the ability to, like, reach out psychically to everyone. 
to like literally probably oh, mind that control was them. His meta final meta power. Yeah, he just wanted to be everyone like God. <laughs> Did he if accumulate those powers over the years? Right. The implication is that he's lived for thousands of years and keeps reincarnating into different mutant Mm. power bodies. They have one of his previous bodies at the start of the movie that actually looks more like the comics version of Apocalypse. Mm. It's like a little old man. Weathered and like imposing instead of just some fresh-faced youngster. Mm -hmm. Actually, I just read something funny, which was that apparently that guy was played by like some random real estate agent or something like that. (laughs) Hmm. Get into acting, dude. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, this is kind of a weird film. They're probably just trying to repeat the success of Days of Future Past, like both from a narrative and uh, I don't know thematic point of view. I don't think any of these actors are bad actors, except for maybe Olivia Munn. Not that big a fan of Sophie Turner. <laughs> Sometimes, but she's good. Like when she has some material to work with. Yeah. It just basically feels like they wasted a lot of possible plot lines or character lines. Yeah, no, that's the biggest disappointment. And it's kind of what we do a lot on this podcast is talk about films that don't quite live up to their potential that could have been good. If you go back and read the original 60s comics, like when the X-Men are first introduced, they're a lot more... They have a lot more character to them. Like Beast and Cyclops play off each other. and They're all kind of like basically like a teen comedy. Right, yeah, it's supposed to be like a family thing, almost like uh, Fantastic Four or whatever, or the Avengers, or Justice League. Honestly, yeah, you could get like the Friends actors and it'd be better yeah. than these people. <laughs> or I think they have some like fan art where they have the community cast as like various X-Men. Mm-hmm. That'd be a funny group. So one interesting thing, uh, it looks like they're already gearing up for a sequel in 2019, but that one's just going to be full-on directed by Simon Kinberg, who's written all the other ones. Mm-hmm. So I it's guess that's their way to get around Brian Singer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that one's going to like lean full into the Dark Phoenix saga, which I think, if they do it right, could be really cool. It's going to be just like emo Sansa again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and who knows what'll happen with Disney and uh, Deadpool and all that. Oh, it looks like Olivia Munn is returning. There you go. Mm, there you Don't. go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they could just replace her with a better actor, but... Ah, oh, they're gonna be in post-production for a year. I think Good. they're currently filming it now, so that's why they were able to do that cameo in Deadpool. Mm. Uh, that makes sense, yeah. It also looked like uh, their costumes in this one are gonna be kind of the new X-Men costumes, where it's like a giant yellow jacket with a huge X on it. That's cool. I actually liked the way they did the costumes in First Class, for example, mm-hmm. which is pretty similar. Like, like those just are, bold. Those are cool looking. They're iconic. Like, they're reminiscent of the comics, but they're also their own look. And then they just go back to black leather. Yeah, that was what was cool about that movie. It was very into the 60s fashion and kind of calling back, uh, since obviously the comics started in the 60s, retro style. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird. These X-Men films go up and down. Like, I wasn't that big a fan of the original X-Men 1, but then X-Men 2 is really good. Then X-Men 3 is crap. First Class was really good. Days of Future Past was actually really good, and then this one's crap. <laughs> so it kind of just goes up and down depending on how they're all feeling, I guess. But it's interesting to put them in the context with the other superhero movies of their time, because like when X1 came out, I think it was just Blade and maybe Spider-Man 1 that had been out. Yeah. So it's kind of like trying to redo superhero movies after Batman Forever. That one was even that. before Spider-Man, I think, because that was like mm-hmm. 2000. Spider-Man was 2002. Yeah. 
Um, it was like, how can we make this palatable to an audience again? Yeah, and uh, it was pretty much done after X-Men 3, and then they, like, rebooted it with First Class. So yeah, it's just kind of a strange franchise, but I don't know, I could definitely see the next one being really good. Yeah, I just felt like kind of lazy, this one. They just didn't quite think it out. Maybe it's like the Star Trek franchise where every third one you can skip, or every other even-numbered one. So it's like one, two, skip a few, three, four, do some more. Yeah, exactly. But it's also kind of funny because, like like you were saying, they didn't even have that much of the central team in this movie, so we can't even tell really if they're going to be like a good chemistry with all that. There's this annoying thing that they do with these kind of like reboots or prequels where like they spend the whole movie building it up to where you want to see it, and then they cut you off. Like yeah. The first Star Trek film, it was like, now to boldly go where no man has gone before. <laughs> and they immediately cut to the mm-hmm. credits. Yeah, it's that weird effect where they're trying to make you feel like they're having adventures, mm-hmm. like in between the movies. Uh, that probably started with the first Star Wars, mm-hmm. and that one they were like obviously doing comics and TV specials. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, it's weird for sure. Um, it's even like that with the Avengers. Like you're somehow supposed to think that from the first Avengers to the second Avengers, they've done nothing but like take on Hydra. It's <laughs> pretty much all they've mm-hmm. been doing, and not helping out with any of these other movies where they could have been helpful. But from what I can tell, general audiences, if you ask them, hey, X-Men Apocalypse is pretty bad, right? They'd be like, what? I never saw that movie. There was an X-Men Apocalypse. Exactly. <laughs> it was like so bad that uh, people didn't even like hear about it. It was kind of swallowed up. Did see Deadpool, which came out the same year. Yeah, I was just kind of swallowed up by all the other really good movies that came out that year. Basically tell all these movies to give themselves some space so people can react to them accordingly. Right, I mean, that's what I think what's definitely going to happen with Solo and the whole Star Wars film franchise. Like, they're kind of burning people out on that one already. Uh, and obviously the original thing that was cool about Star Wars was that they'd release different films three years apart, or, or like 20 years. Yeah, 18 years. Yeah. Again. I don't know. I think that one's going stupidly, but we'll see. It's just basically like Disney has four or five different franchises they can just cycle between every two months. So now they'll smash Fox and Disney together and it'll be fine, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Nobody will say anything. Oh, I did want to mention that this film did get 48% on Rotten Tomatoes. So that's how rotten people thought it was. Whereas Queen of the Damned got a 5.3 out of 10. I want IMDb. I don't know how much on Rotten Oh, 17% on Rotten Tomatoes. Sheesh. Well, actually, some of the vibe is similar, though, because the Queen of the Dam's like, 80s, like, Lestat's in a heavy metal band or something. <laughs> I think it's in the 80s. I don't know. Yeah, that's what wakes up the ancient vampire. <laughs> well, yeah, instead of being emo, like, all these mutants could go off and be cool, like, rock stars, or, like, Magneto could go, like, do anything. <laughs> yeah, you have the no world, sense basically. of what's going on in the world, because these are supposed to be, like, ten years apart. People hate us, and it's like, yeah, and, so what? To move on. What yeah, else? they have Storm saying, like, oh, I look up to Mystique, but, like, what else was happening? Well, got going world. on yeah, yeah. <laughs> nothing it's almost like they went into like a uh, hyper sleep between movies and just yeah. like a decade pass and they woke up like now let's keep going <laughs> they should have had a throwaway line like that or someone could have been like so xavier's keeping you all artificially looking <laughs> old looking young right and they're like yeah of course <laughs> like we've been hiding for a decade we can't be exposed again after that big mystique and magneto explosion exposure. But it's also weird because when he went back to the first X-Men movie it almost seemed like even then people didn't really know who mutants were, mm-hmm. so it doesn't make any sense. Or even like X2 where they had that speech for the present where they are like, we're here, get used to it. <laughs> we're here, we're queer. <laughs> like you were saying, they they should be like more public or more celebrated by now. Like, they had that bit in Grant Morrison where they're basically like pop star 
mutants. Right. I mean, they're usually like a analog for racism or mm. uh, homophobia. So they could just be like, now people are embracing these things. Mm. People are cool with mutants and think it's cool and want to be them or be with them. Now people are fetishizing mutants. Exactly. The whole industry. <laughs> yeah. They're like, they're making movies out of us and making tons of money. <laughs> no, it's definitely strange. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's about going to do it. Uh, I did also want to mention that Beast seems to have some sort of fetishistic thing going on with Cerebro. Because uh, he's like, I made this panels blue like my... <laughs> like Mystique. Like Mystique's. But also exactly me. like her areolas. <laughs> the exact shade. The exact exact hex code. So yeah, unless anyone else had any other comments I guess or a tagline. One odd thing, like, at the end of these prequel movies, Mystique and Magneto are estranged, and she's like leading the X-Men and he's I don't know what, and then by the modern movies, they're supposed to be like good friends, good partners, yeah. lovers, lieutenants. <laughs> nah, I mean, it didn't make sense from first class, but that was like, they didn't even know if they were gonna fold it back into the old universe. They were kind of just trying to see what would happen. And then they got that Jennifer Lawrence movie, so they had to keep stretching it out as much as they could possibly stretch it out. Yeah, the Hunger Games fuel. No, I, def- I think these films definitely peaked with the last one, and then now they're just kind of like, mm. going to keep making more <laughs> for some reason. So or this- abruptly end it. Yeah, so this movie only made uh, $155 million on a 138 budget in the U.S., but it actually made like almost $500 million abroad, so it actually did pretty well overseas. All right, well, I'll be signing off for this episode of Cinemazing Chats about X-Men 2 Origins Wolverine. <laughs> uh, Excelsior. <laughs> I've been Pablo. And I'm Erica. And I'm Juan. All right, uh, see you on the next episodes. <laughs> <laughs>